Hello, citizens. Welcome. I'm doing quite super. Uh, some of them are dirty. Just remember, superheroes don't smoke. Some of the costumes are ridiculous. Come on in. Uh, we do work on tips, OK? They're panhandlers. They take pictures with tourists for money. You better get ready to catch the free fall. Oh, my god. First came out here, it was yeah, I had no intentions of becoming an actor. So it just kind of came to place. At least I'm doing what makes me happy, so. You know, I'm out here seriously trying to make a name for myself. What am I trying to achieve? I want to become a leading actor. I just sold my Super Nintendo, got me a Greyhound bus ticket, and headed out here. Max has one insane temper. I have um, slapped a few men around. He will choke a woman if she doesn't tip him. Still ask God for forgiveness for the, some of the things that I've done in my life. At that point, I was already in shelters and group homes and stuff like that. I didn't come out here to get in a costume and stand on Hollywood Boulevard to make chump change. And there are some times when it's like, God, this is a train wreck. But you can't look away. True acting, that's what I want. I like to think that my future holds uh, fame and fortune. There's success out there waiting for me, and I've got to be open to it. Wow, Superman is my hero. Well, my wife, I guess she's kind of proud of the fact that she can tell people that she's married Batman. <laughs> my name is Christopher Lloyd Dennis, and I play Superman. My name is Maximus Batman Allen. My name is Jennifer Garrett. Hi, my name's Joe McQueen, and I play the Hall. I'd like to say that I've got the fame without the fortune right now. Welcome to the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast, a conversation about representation in comics and related media. I'm your host, Rain Coleman, and this issue will be discussing Confessions of a Superhero. Now, Confessions of a Superhero is a 2007 documentary film. This was directed by Matthew Ogens, or Ogens. I'm not entirely certain how to pronounce that name, uh, but it is about costume superheroes who work on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Now, the film focuses on these four folks christopher dennis superman jennifer winger wonder woman joseph mcqueen batman and maxwell allen the hulk uh, so they do dress up as these characters on the hollywood walk of fame and you know um i know you've seen these guys before maybe not them in particular but there's been countless movies tv shows and just images of costume persons maybe not all superhero i know there were some um, like one was Elmo, I think one was a Chewbacca. So there have been these costume characters who have um, are pretty much as iconic or as, as popular or noteworthy, rather, as the Hollywood Walk of Fame itself. They're kind of synonymous with one another. Uh, and this film, this documentary, this documentary film was very, very interesting. Uh, we're going to go over three really like kind of key points, one being the characters, um, also, the pre-COVID world and fame. So this docu-series or documentary was um, released back in March 10th of 2007. That was at South by Southwest, but it was released in the United States at large on November 2nd of 2007. So that was a pretty quick turnaround. Um, and it's very much a South by Southwest, very much an indie film. 
it is I actually enjoyed it. I love that it is dated. And of course for now it's 2022, but I love this space that it occupies where it's old enough that it does feel old, but it's not that far away in terms of folks who may have been maybe middle schoolers, high schoolers in the early 2000s. Like it's not that far removed, but it is far enough removed by the clothing, um, even just the tourists, because of course the main cast are predominantly in their costumed attire, but that, yeah, I don't know. I just, I got a real sense of nostalgia watching this and I don't know, I, I would implore you all to take a look at it as well. It's about 90, 92 minutes or so. It is an interesting watch. I will say it's it's slow to start. Uh, unless you are one who is really into documentaries, you could probably just like, you know, coast right through it. But if you're not, I still say give it a chance. It is, it's interesting. And I say give it a chance not only because I think it's done well, but I do appreciate this side of nerddom. It is still within the space of our industry, um, but it is not a glamorous take completely like it's showing the struggle. It's it's very much showing you chasing that dream. And um, to do that off the backs of these imagery, the imagery that we have grown to love as comic book and nerd uh, fans. So the film tells the life story of its four main subjects, all who are aspiring to be actors, and they come from very different backgrounds. Um, So Dennis grew up in Los Angeles um, as an orphan, and we'll get more to him in a bit. We have Winger, who was a small-town cheerleader before moving to Hollywood to become an actress. McQueen moves to Los Angeles during the Rodney King riots and was a homeless, uh, homeless man for about four years before he became the Hulk. And then there was Alan. Alan claims to be a former mobster with a murderous past. It's it's a lot. So uh, starting right off, Dennis, who is the Superman, and who honestly I feel like, though the documentary does follow the four character or people they're not characters they're real people they really focus on him and the superman of it all and i wonder if it is because superman is such a big name and such an iconic old school legendary whatever like he is the idea of comics um and not just dennis playing him just like the idea of superman the imagery of superman uh, so I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Um, I will say that the tr- Trinity, for all intents and purposes, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, they're all white. The actors who are portraying them in their particular brand of cosplay, they're white. The Hulk, that actor is black. And I think that Dennis looks the part. He looks very Christopher Reeves. He's lanky, tall. He has to be at least like 6'1", 6'2". He's a tall, skinny guy. And he has... They show the interior of his home, and I think that out of the entire series, his home is the one thing that is most memorable. Sure, he looks the part of the Superman. He has a very, like I said, lanky, odd look about him. And that is memorable, 
But when you get these glimpses into his home, it is like a museum, but if it was on hoarders. And that's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. Like, I'm not judging. But looking at this man's living quarters, it's like obsessed to the extreme. And again, still not passing judgment, but I, and the whole time I was watching, I'm like, what, how, how are you, how are you maneuvering through this world? Like you are going out to Hollywood Walk of Fame and you're dressing up as Superman and you're getting your tips and you're making a living doing this. Yes. But then when you come home, you're like suffocating with Superman, like floor to ceiling, wall to wall, room to room. And I guess as, well, not even as nerds. Well, yeah, as nerds in the sense that you are interested in a, in a particular thing and you obsess over it, be it um, an unhealthy obsession or, you know, just the right amount, whatever that looks like for you. You're going to have paraphernalia of the things that you enjoy. You can be a comic book fan and have shit bookshelves full of comics, and you can be a you know sports fan and have your jerseys framed. You could have hats, uh, foam fingers, and everything else you know from your favorite teams and whatnot. <clears throat> so the judgment isn't there. My the jarring part was the sheer amount, and I don't know. It's just you have to look. Like, you'll have to watch this for the inside of his home alone. Like, there is Superman everywhere. And I do get the obsession, like, when you latch onto something that you enjoy, it, it's it, it's easy to become a bit obsessed. But Jesus. So, one thing I do like about this film is that when it came to the main four characters, we got a look into them and their life. We've got their backstory. We got their life on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. We got them in their their cosplay, their uniforms. And it really was a slice of life, a lot of slice of life content. Um, it, It felt like you were privy to something, not necessarily that you aren't supposed to be uh, privy to, but that you are getting an inside look at something that maybe you hadn't considered before. Um, Because, you know, we all see, I'll take, for example, the guys and gals and folks who do the, like, progressive things on the corner where they're flipping a sign back and forth. Like, you would ride by tons of them through the summer or the warm months and not think twice about it. They'll just come and go. But how many of us have really stopped to think like, oh, what is their life like outside of this? Not to say you ponder on obsessively, like, what do they do? But to watch them as you're driving by or to watch them as you're leaving a restaurant nearby, that's one thing. But then to also get this, like, reality TV show documentary style um, look into the lives of people who make a living out of this, that's the what I mean when I say it's like you're being privy to something that you not necessarily aren't supposed to be, but something you may not have considered. And so with Superman, he is very much Superman. Now, of course, you only get what they're providing you on screen, but I felt like out of all of the um, the folks followed in his documentary, he was the one who was more in line with his character. Like, he lived Superman. Not even Clark Kent. Like, he lived Superman. And 
to be quite honest, I may have seen maybe, maybe two images of Clark Kent in this entire documentary. And honestly, I think it was just the one towards the end. But I think that he, he seems very childlike. And I think it's just because he's a little awkward. And it's not like an endearing, oh, he's like a little kid. It's like, no, he seems kind of obsessive in a childish childish way, uh, but like scaled up for his adult self. Uh, the interesting thing, another interesting thing I found out is, uh, or I observed, is the way, the like hierarchy of the four characters. And not even just them, but like by extension, all the other people who we didn't follow who's on the boulevard. So, we we follow the four folks, we get their lives, how they make money, we get even a look into like their homes and whatnot, and when you look at their homes, Superman to me is the most drastic, the most intense, with nothing but Superman paraphernalia everywhere. Batman, his home looks like a regular home. Like, this is a home that is lived in. It's it's not, there's not obsession in any way. Not nearly to the degree of Superman. For him, it was maybe one or two shirts that were Batman paraphernalia. Um, Wonder Woman was more sparse. And Hulk's was the most sparse. Uh, and I said it just in terms of like living setup. It looked like Wonder Woman and Hulk were the ones who had the least of everyone, um, as far as material uh, possessions. And so moving right on to <sighs> Batman, this man had—I don't know. This man, Maxwell Allen, he. I don't know, man. He was a he was a character. So all of the the, the documentary is filmed in two thousand five, I believe, and I really pieced that together because there was a comment about Christopher Reeves passing. I think he died in two thousand four, and someone was like, "Yeah, you know, Christopher Reeves he um, died in October of two thousand four. You know, and that was just last year or something. So that's how I knew. Like, it, nothing was ever stated that was two thousand five, and so being in the space of two thousand five, and think about technology, how it was, where we were with computers and whatnot, and 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 even like pursuing a creative passion. There is not no a youtube or an online platform that's like an american idol where you can just be seen and picked up not in in that day i mean there was american idol but that being said a lot of his backstory was i don't know i just don't believe this guy he says a lot of things that are he says a lot of things that seem as if he is lying or ex- exaggerating like to the 10th degree. And he rubbed me the wrong way when he first popped up on screen. And it wasn't, I was just like, oh, okay, maybe I just kind of don't like this guy, but whatever. But the more you watch it, the more he like spirals and things start to become more clear that something is not right about this guy. He is a threat. He is a danger. Um, 
when it comes to uh, Wonder Woman, she was just a small town girl who did well in her small town. She was a cheerleader. She was popular. And funny enough, like if you're going to look at a character like, oh, do I relate to this person? I think I may have related more closely to the Wonder Woman, to the actress that played Wonder Woman, um, simply because of her life. She was this popular girl. She had on these accolades acolytes accolades and that wasn't enough for her in the space that she occupied she felt smothered being in this small town knowing that she wanted more for herself and that is something that i think a lot of us can relate to if not everyone even if you're from a larger city uh, but her being in this from this small town where what they said the population was like 2000 2100 people and that's including everyone you know men women and children um, I could see it. And they interviewed her parents. Her mother was very proud of her. Her mother was like very much, I'm supportive, I'm matter of fact about this. And one thing I really, really liked about her story is there was a moment where her mother was recounting the story of her daughter wanting to leave. And I don't have it verbatim, but essentially it was like she was upset was feeling out of sorts and her mom was like what do you want she was like i i just i want to be away i want to go i want to leave and her mom was like well where do you want to go we can you know get a plane ticket to la you can go blah whatever like when do you want to leave and she was like tonight and her mom said we got on the computer or whatever she said and we got that ticket and got her on the next plane the very next morning and regardless to the story that we're seeing playing out on screen because I'm sure some people be like, oh, well, she didn't make it. She went all this way and, you know, didn't get the career she wanted. This and that. Yeah, that may very well be it, but I think that is kind of besides the point. Um, because regardless of if you make it big or not, if you are stuck in a space that is not, even if you're doing well, but it is not helping your mental, if it is not serving you and you feel unfulfilled, you should be able to make a change. You should be given that space to make a change. And let's say she did exceptionally well where she lived and just lived out her days, just doing well, working in a career there and living there and dying there. Like it's always that coulda, shoulda, woulda. And so regardless to your takeaway after the end of this documentary, I think that she did something that a lot of people uh, want to do and some people are unable to do. And I actually, like I said, I really kind of connected with that story. It wasn't my story beat for beat, but there were elements where I was like, man, I, I remember this. I remember feeling frustrated and suffocated in a space where it was just all too familiar and all too repetitive and nothing was exciting, not in the sense of like action and drama, but just exciting where I felt like I was falling into a rhythm of the same thing over and over nothing new to expect or to catch me by you know by surprise so i just i get it i get it and so man i don't know i i didn't expect that but i was really like invested in her story um i like that she also was a smart girl she was just a smart girl who did what she had to do was did things well where she was and just got up and left. Um, cause a lot of times you see these stories and it's like, Oh, it's shrouded in, in travesty and drama and, and childhood messed upness of it all. But no, she was just a regular person. who was just in a space that no longer served her.
So that was interesting. And then we get the Hulk. This young man, the only black man who was for four years homeless. I think he said he was from Indiana. Did he? Yeah, McQueen moved during the Rodney King riots and was homeless. He he told the story about moving to L.A. Was it the second day of the riots? And he went into the hills, went into the mountains. He was like, well, you know, they're rioting, yeah, but, like, who's going to come up here? And they had this scene of him recounting that story or that, that, that instance right by the Hollywood sign. And I was like, man, like, can you imagine... Having to live in the, like, first of all, showing up in L.A., there are riots going on, and then you running to the mountains, because, like, that's where you know you'll be safe compared to being down in all the chaos of it all, and just, and being homeless for four years, bruh, he, that was a lot, that was a lot, um, and so when we get a glimpse into his home, he has, like, an, a mattress on the floor, a few items, of course, his Hulk uniform or outfit, and one thing I like that he said early on in the film is someone said Hulk isn't black. And I said in Hollywood he is. And that, <laughs> his disposition is very upbeat. He is not a person who comes off negative throughout this uh, film. He explains his hardships and we watch his journey and we see him end up in a space that is very um different from where he started but out of all of the character characters excuse me out of all of the the people um being featured in this documentary he is probably the most charming um i'll say even though we focused on superman a lot that guy dennis is very like i don't want to say stoic he's very to me he's kind of bland he's kind of boring uh but that fits the the superman character and he he kind of walks tall. He's a tall guy, uh, and so it fits him. With Wonder Woman, she's very regular. Um, and when I say regular, I mean she does. She never feels like she's acting. Like the way that Superman is like putting his like he lives this life. She's like I'm putting on this uniform. She never comes off as insincere, but she's like you know she's just in the Wonder Woman outfit. Batman is a freaking weirdo, and he is intense. But again, Hulk, this this young man is most charming. He is most charming. He has the most um, charisma. He is he is the guy who I was so happy to see um, on screen, and I was very happy to follow his story. Being on this Hollywood walk of fame and seeing all of these white faces and seeing that there was a space for him um and then okay so you do have your costume heroes who have masks on so like the spider-mans and whatnot where their whole face is covered that's easy enough to kind of be anyone and you know exist but this hulk uniform was the oh big uncomfortable looking like bodysuit, but the face where the um actor's face is is visible was through the Hulk's was it his mouth, so you have this big heavy plastic suit on, you this black man with thick head of hair, 
And here's this shit. Um, and to see that he was Hulk, and I wonder if him being Hulk was this uniform or this outfit or costume was easier to come by, like financially, or if a lot of that did lean into the kind of race of it all. Because the the fact that you're getting people giving you pushback saying, oh, the Hulk isn't black, that's pushback that Superman, Dennis, never got. He never got that pushback. Same thing with Batman, same thing with Wonder Woman. And they are visibly white through and through. Faces shown, legs, arms, all that. So I wonder if, especially with this being 2005, this isn't a most progressive time <laughs> like we have now. You know, I say that loosely. Um, so I wonder if that choice was a purely a financial one. Or if it had to do with kind of like playing the game, getting a character that was popular enough, um, but that you could kind of hide yourself in and maybe get a little bit more attention from folks um, versus if there were like, if he was a black Superman. Because now you're competing with Dennis, who looks like Christopher Reeves, who looks what everyone, looks the way that everyone sees Superman in their mind. So, you know, then do you compete with him for tips? So it, that was never addressed. And I really w- wish that race was <clears throat> addressed a little bit more because though, well, yeah, I know I do. I wish I had him. Um, we get Hulk was black. The other three who are white, but that's all we get. We don't get, um, any Asian, um, I want the actors. They are actors. They all consider themselves actors. Um, We only get them, and I wonder again. I wish race had have been maybe mentioned a bit more, and not in the sense of like I don't know, trying to make it a talking point purely off of the fact that he was the one black person. Mainly off of the the very specific ways in which race affected him and anyone who's choosing this or has this as their line of work. I really wish that had been addressed a little bit more. Um, the culture surrounding this Hollywood Walk of Fame space was so interesting because we do get these main four people, and I'll say even with Batman included, I think they gave a good show. The documentary was done well. I think you you very much got four people who are acting, who are in this specific space and trying to, you know, make a name for themselves. And I did enjoy that. And then you had these people kind of on the fringe where there was a Marilyn Monroe lady. Well, I'll start with this. The way in which they get paid is through tips. They cannot ask for money. They can tell you that they work off tips. Uh, We don't work for tips. We accept tips. It, it, the process is supposed to, okay, go like this. Okay, so Would you like a, a sure? Now we work on tips. Okay. If it's okay. You want just me or? Yeah. Okay. As the tourists oh, come up, you they have to come up to you. Okay, that's also a law that says you cannot come up to them and solicit photos to them. They have to come up to you. You also cannot name amounts unless you have a permit. Oh, usually one each. Yeah, yeah. It's usually one one. If that's okay. Yeah, one can't expect to get a tip because a tip is not mandatory, you know, and nobody has to give you a tip. On a bad day, I will go in, I'll get out there, and I'll start working at like 12 o'clock. I'll work till 
3 o'clock and I make about $30. <laughs> I'm like, you know what, I could have done this at another job. Uh, I got the whole effect. But on a good day, we're really taking in the crowd and we have good energy because that's important. Thank you, sir. I'll make about $150 an hour. What's this, Tasmanian Devil? Okay, I'll see you later. Oh, yes, of course. Um, the actors are not able to approach you. As a tourist, you have to approach them. And then, of course, they can say, hey, we work off tips. Uh, I can see how frustrating it would be to work and receive no tips or little tips. <clears throat> and I don't want to be so... I don't know, kind of matter of fact to say, oh, this is the life you chose, so, you know, you got to deal with it because it doesn't, sometimes it's out of necessity and regardless, everyone should be able to earn a living wage. Uh, however, in a lot of these instances, it felt like, damn, y'all are really, y'all being the actors, are really entitled. Like, you put this costume on. You decided to go out here and work. And... Every day is not going to be a good day. But I also had to kind of check myself with that line of thinking because that's not something that I have to do. And also, this is, you know, 2005 USA, a bunch of other shit going on. Um, but the, the get back to the Marilyn Monroe character, she walked up to, I want to say it was Batman and Superman. And her issue was that she took all these pictures and no one tipped her. And she was, I don't want to say hysterical, but she was visibly upset, audibly upset. You could hear it in her voice. She, was, of course, was a, a white lady. Um, and I mentioned that because she looked like Marilyn Monroe at, at a glance. And so the actor playing Superman, Dennis was like, hey, very calmly, like I'm not even over-exaggerating the way that I'm like reciting this. He was like, these people don't have to tip you. And she was like, no, but I mean, it's the least you can do. You can be nice. I mean, even a dollar. Come on, a dollar. He was like, no. You put on this dress. You came out here. These people don't. And he was so calm. And matter of fact, I'm like, he is right, you know. And But I was still like, damn, man, you have to give it to her like that. But no, I'm glad that he did. And he was um kind of the moral compass. That's why I say he very much to me felt like, Superman in his daily life. Um, <laughs> he had an issue with a Spider-Man, with a Spider-Man actor. This guy, I didn't, I'm trying to think. I saw them, the way this was shot, we saw them walking together from behind. And I think there may have been an incident that happened off camera or before this. Because Superman kept saying, Spider-Man doesn't smoke. No, no, I'm sorry. I'll take the back. It was actually Ghost Rider. But we had an issue with Spider-Man later on. So he was like, yeah, Ghost Rider doesn't smoke. And the and the actor was like, no, I, I do smoke. And he was like, yeah, no, Ghost Rider doesn't smoke. He was like, well, my head is a skull on fire. What do you mean I don't smoke? He was like, well, in the comics, he doesn't smoke. He was like, well, no, I smoke. And there was this back and forth where Dennis, Superman, was stressing that in order to like inhabit these characters, you have to be them. You have to personify the values that they personify. You can't do things 
in this space that's family friendly where you're trying to get paid that would go against that and i was like oh i hear him but i don't know how i feel about that i mean i guess i get it in the sense that in the uniform you don't want to do things that if someone saw you would they would be upset with but at the same time it's like this is ghost rider but then also I'm grown. I'm not looking at it from a child's point of view, which I think kids really give a damn. But I, I kind of went through through it with that one as well because I was like, I get what he's saying. And I'm not 100% with it. However, me, me being, you know, just me viewing, I'm like, I don't know. I may not agree. But then also, if I'm trying to get this money and this man been doing this for years and he's been making money. Like, why wouldn't I maybe listen to what he got to say and not smoke? And because I don't know, that was the oddest thing. And I was like, but also, where is this man smoking? Like, did he just pull out a cigarette on Hollywood Walk of Fame and just start smoking? Because again, they never showed that footage. So I don't know if he was like in a bathroom, in an alley with like the head off, but the costume on. I don't know. But that was something that was interesting to me. That was a constant through line with Dennis Superman where he was like no you don't do these things we are hold ourselves to a certain standard and you know I get it there's a culture there um I'm not in that space so I can't say he's 100% wrong or right but I just thought that was I thought that was interesting especially with the documentary positioning him as like the lead character for all intents and purposes because when you look at the art for the documentary it is Superman laying on a couch it's not, and it's that actor, Dennis. It's not anyone else who's in the documentary. So that was that was interesting, and even more interesting. You know, how many times I say interesting this episode? <laughs> take a shot every time I say interesting. But what's even more interesting? Take a shot. Is that all of these people are partnered? Well, no, I don't think the Hulk was. I don't think he was. He was. He was. Um, he was alone. But everyone else was partnered. Like they were married. So Superman, his wife, or well, his girlfriend at the time, she became his wife over the course of the documentary. But she is a psychiatrist or a therapist, and that sh- they again they did a really good job at presenting information in this documentary because once that popped up, that she was um, a mental health professional. I was like, God damn. <laughs> and she even said it. Like, one of the first things she mentioned was, like, my friends think it's so interesting that me and him are together considering my profession and his obsession with Superman. And they were two peas in a pot. They were definitely made for one another. And she was his biggest fan. Uh, one thing about their relationship that was so odd to me is that there's an actress who he, like, loves. He's obsessed with her. And his girlfriend slash fiance slash wife was like, oh, yeah, I haven't cut my hair since I met this guy because I'm he he likes this actress. And I like, wait a minute, like to each his own, you know, develop the parameters of your relationship and what works for you. But I was like, nigga, love me for me, not for this chick who I you love. <laughs> so, and I, I need to find the name of the actress because and I would want for any listeners who are into hair, do hair, know how to do hair, and all that good stuff, to look at this specific part of the uh, of the documentary, I'm going to see if I can't maybe get a, this clip and post it online. But when they held up the kind of advertisement, advertisement, ooh, advertisement, and next to his wife's face, 
I know clearly they look like two very different women. I'm not comparing their looks, beauty, or whatnot, but their hair. He was like, yeah, just look at this cut. Look at this cut. It's so beautiful. And I was like, not to be funny, this is just long, dark hair. Like his wife had thick, healthy, long hair, and then the actress who he was obsessed with also had thick, long, dark hair. And I was like, what do you mean, the, look at this cut? And he focused on that. He said that a few times. I was like, not to be funny, but... This is just a woman with long brown hair. <laughs> so if someone could take a look at that and tell me, no, actually, this is a, you know, unicorn cut with highlights throughout or whatever, because I was I was very confused and specifically uh, maybe someone white, because I was like, is this not just a white woman with long brown hair? And not just like belittling her, but just in the sense that her hair is just long. It wasn't a cut. It wasn't a style. It was part down the middle. And I shouldn't, that shouldn't be the thing I'm hung up on. But the fact that he was like, yeah, I, I like this actress. And so I don't want her to look like this. And she was like, yeah, I hadn't cut my hair. I was like, sis, they have wigs that are this long. Like if this is really a big deal, you can also put on a wig. Like, I don't know. I just thought it was odd. So um, the issue though with Dennis, which is something that they also reveal a little bit later, is that this man claims to be the son of Oscar and Tony winning actress Sandy Dennis. Now, I'm not familiar with Sandy Dennis as far as I know. Um, I Some of her movies... Uh, we're back from like 1961. She did Splendor in the Grass, 1966, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Three Sisters, 1967, Up the Down Staircase, The Fox, Sweet November, A Touch of Love. So these are things that I may have seen something that she was in, but I can't uh, recall. Oh, she was on The Guiding Light in um, TV back in 1956. But all that being said, the the way that he talked about her and about, you know, his mom being this famous actress and him, you know, wanting to follow in her footsteps and on her dying, uh, her deathbed, she mentioned, you know, hey, I want you to be an actor. And I was like, okay, this is, this is cool. That's kind of heartwarming that, you know, your mom on her dying, her deathbed wants you to take up the family business. Bruh, the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, I don't know this woman. I don't know how much money she has. I don't know what her wealth looks like from the 60s to the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000 and current. Like, I'm not certain what that would look like. Like, is she someone who saved her money, did well, invested, had properties? Or was she someone who, you know, spent the money on her family and all this other stuff? Because I was like, if you if that was your mother and she's accomplished, and let's say she has just a little bit of money. Let's just say she has a house. Why are you not living there? as her child versus living in this apartment that's Florida ceiling Superman paraphernalia. And they interviewed her family, her niece, her mom, I think her brother, something like that. And the niece was like, oh my God, my aunt used to uh, take us everywhere and spent money on family and this and that. And when I was 16 years old, I, she flew me to France for a year for the summer and bought me everything I wanted. It was every teenage girl's dream. And I was like, oh, this is so cute. And I'll say again, this documentary was done well because the way that they presented all of this information, though I had my doubts when I saw her family, Sandy's family, it... it it's like they lulled me into this false sense of security, and then they hit you with the, yes, yeah, Sandy didn't have any kids. 
<laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. So is this motherfucker delusional? Is he not? Is he not really her child? And that shit took me down. I was like, oh, okay, y'all did what y'all needed to do. So they were pretty much pushing back against the idea that their uh, relative had any children. And when I rewatched some of those scenes, it, I was like, oh, they did a good job because the family never mentioned her son. Even the niece who was like, oh, she took me to Paris for the summer. She wasn't like, and my cousin Dennis was there and, and we got on each other's nerves or something. He was never mentioned. And it's like, damn, are you appropriating this? Not appropriating. Are you, um, like, what... If he is lying, because again, this is back in the day, maybe she was private and, you know, had this kid and didn't want nobody to know. But if you are her child and you are close to her, because no, the producer even asked him, like, are you, like, were you close to your mom? He's like, well, not really. You know, my dad left when I was 17 and my mom, you know, she died and we weren't really close and I was the black sheep and I was the troublemaker and this and that. And, you know, I did meth back in the day and Krista meth and this and that. I was like... What the fuck is happening here? Like some someone's lying, and it feels like it's him. Um, I don't know. And I had a close relationship with my mom. I I know my father. Me and him have a close relationship as well. And so I wonder, because my thing was, well, show us a picture. But then if you aren't close with your mom, and regardless to her being famous or not, if you weren't maybe raised closely with her would you have those images but then also like why was she on her dying bed call out to you to join the family business how are you around her? i don't know this shit just seems suspect to me and it was never confirmed it was just like he presented this information her biological family presented this information and you the the watcher viewer audience take from it what you will and you decide what's true and what's not so that's that um when we, let's move on to Batman. This motherfucker is off his fucking rocker. So, when I look at him as an actor, they showed clips of pretty much everyone who was in a movie or in a project. It, there weren't long clips, but they showed when they were in things. And he, we saw some clips of him in his um, kind of debut film. It was a, a kind of indie, low-budget film about some black gangster rappers, and he was like the mob boss, some shit. This man tells a story to his therapist while he's in uniform, no doubt. I'm like, why are you speaking to this therapist in this full rubber-ass outfit? But he tells a story about a girlfriend of his or wife, something. I don't know. She was a beautiful young lady. Let him tell it. And she got into an accident that was meant for him. That was the first red flag for me, because when you say accident, because I want to say he specified there was a car accident, and I'm thinking, what, you're not saying, like, the brake lines was cut, like, the way I perceived that was, he was, she was just in a car accident, why was that accident meant for you, like, you and her wouldn't drive the same, you wouldn't drive the same speed, you wouldn't put the same um, pressure on the accelerator, on the brake, uh, your body types would be different. So, like, to say this accident was meant for you as if you were going to take the exact same route doing the exact same things that she would do in the exact same time is weird. And so that was a red flag. And he essentially confessed to hunting down and killing the man responsible for her death. 
so the therapist was like what what do you mean like out with it say outright what are you talking about he's like well did you are you saying you killed these people and he was like well i mean yeah and i was thinking like what what world is this what is happening here are we being punked is this a joke and so the therapist was like well you know that there's no statute of limitations on murder. And he was like, well, you know, back in the 80s, you could get away with certain stuff. And, you know, there's no trace. There's no trace of the body. No, there's no proof it ever happened. He's like, yeah, there's no statute of limitations on murder. Like, murder is murder. Are you admitting to murdering someone? And I was thinking in my head, like, the same thing. Like, what? That, <sighs> Batman's wife even let it be known that, no, he embellishes a lot. He lies. Like, 50% of what he's saying to you is not true. Like, she was really dragging him and not even in a negative way. You could tell she was giving her, answering the questions that was presented to her by the um, production, but trying to do it in a way that did not maybe seem so negative. But she was not helping his case. She was only, I don't know, like, supporting the fact that this man is weird this man is a liar. And so I brought up his first acting role because in that role, in that scene, he's talking to some guys in a booth and he's talking about, you got to run some shit by me or something. They talk shit to him and he pulls a gun out on them. And then all the other actors who are part of the gang, they pull the gun out on, on the actor. The way that he acted in that scene showed me that you have not killed anyone in the way in which you are trying to make it seem now if you drunk draw drunk drove hit someone or you know whatever there's tons of ways to murder and be murdered but the way that he's building himself up as this big billy badass no that you have you're you're not a convincing actor he is not a good actor at all you your physical acting is terrible there were scenes of him training like doing um some sort of martial arts and he was so uncoordinated like the 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 um the leader or uh, I don't know what you call him the the master of the dojo I'm not sure but she kept having to like adjust to him instead of him following the rules like just something as minor as putting your left foot forward and your right foot back like he was a, I was like no this man has not again not in the way that you're trying to make it seem if you've killed someone sure I don't know but not in the way that you're trying to present it to everyone else in this documentary and everyone else you come across, and especially to that therapist, you are a liar. Um, yeah, I that was odd. And a lot of people, he has anger issues. And one thing his wife said was, oh, yeah, he has anger issues. And when stuff is out of his control and he's, you know, mean and nasty, it's not, he's not, doesn't take it out on me, but something, something. I was like, no, it sounds like he does take it out on you. Like the fact that you had to like phrase, phrase it, in that way, it just felt, uh, I don't know, it felt weird. So, um, switching gears, one thing that really was interesting, take a shot. <laughs> one thing that stood out in this documentary was the pre-COVID era. So not only with like taking pictures with strangers, dressed up in your uniform or your costume, but like the way in which we were physical with one another. There were so many hugs, so many kisses, so many like big groups up under each other where I was watching it knowing intellectually that this is an older uh, film. But I was like, oh, 
what is happening? Why are y'all so close? Why are y'all? And I was like, damn, is this where we are? Is this who we are? <laughs> like, are we here now where even old videos of uh, that type of close contact is like, oh, w- w- among strangers anyways, it's like, oh, this is weird. Or is it just me? Y'all let me know. So there were a lot of hugs, a lot of a lot of very close contact. And that in of itself was so again interesting take a shot it was interesting um it was heartwarming it was like to see these nerds so at one point there is a metropolis uh illinois and they have a festival every year and that city is very much boss to the wall superman as well uh, to the point where the documentary, they interviewed this young white boy, maybe was like 14. And he's shirtless, and he, they're, like, they're like on a dirt road. And then they're talking to him, and he was like, yeah, this ain't a, this a bad time. You know, since the blacks moved in, so many blacks, so many blacks. And I'm watching them like, what's happening here? Like, what's the significance of having him? Like, the whole documentary so far did not really focus on race it wasn't so my first thought was to get upset like oh he hates but i don't well, okay whatever i'm watching something so let's see and they have him i don't know what you call the shot professionally but it was like from his knees up so he had on like cargo shorts he was shirtless had a stick in his hand and was kind of fidgeting around it was like yeah you know it's a bad time so many blacks came in so many blacks and so then they asked him well what do you what is, what's with this town of Superman? Why do they like Superman so much? He was like, ha, ha, you tell me when you find out. And I was like, well, he said, oh, I've been reading the comics. And I'm like, it's clear that this city is named Metropolis. That's where Superman eventually lives. That's like the connection. But they zoom in on him, and you can see this big-ass Superman ch- uh, tattoo on his chest. And so it was like even in the town that is named after, Metro- that is Metropolis, that is focused on superman to such a large degree this silly ass dumb kid who i guess was born and raised here has internalized superman to the point where he has this huge ass tattoo on his chest but he can't give you an outright reason why superman is such a big deal here i'm like that is so weird that is so weird and that is, I guess, the testament to how big Superman actually is, that you could go and get a damn tattoo with an S on your chest and still not have a reason as to why. Is it just because it's popular? I don't know. That part of the documentary was so interesting where I think, and I could be wrong, but I'm thinking the mentioning of, oh, so many blacks here making it, making it bad was more or less to kind of throw you off. I don't know, or maybe it was just like, shit, let's keep this ignorant shit in here. But either way, it was like, you kind of focus on that, and then you pay attention to him, and you see this big-ass S on his chest. So, I don't know. But they had this Superman festival, and when Christopher Reeves died, they were going to like go all out this year. And Superman from Hollywood Walk of uh, Fame went and got all these headshots made and all these like full-body pictures so that he could sign them and... Uh, you know, people can buy them at the festival. And they were really nice pictures, too. Uh, but he was like, yeah, there's a Superman look-alike contest. It's $20 to enter, and it's $1,000 to the winner. We get to this festival. This is a character dress-up 
contest. Because there's Batman, there's Superman, there's Rogue from X-Men, there's, I don't know who this man is, maybe the Kingpin. There were like so many characters. I was like, this isn't the documentary and Chris, who's playing Superman, really was trying to sell the fact that this was a Superman lookalike thing, and it wasn't. Um, that's not a huge deal, but I was like, this is interesting that they positioned it this way, and he still lost. Heartbroken. This man has some issues. And actually, they all do. The best part for me is seeing that Hulk, after moving to L.A. during the Rodney King riots, living in the mountains on the hills for so long, being homeless for four years, working as the Hulk night and day, collecting these tips, trying to make it, even chronicling his homeless um, spaces, like where he used to sleep, different interactions he had. At the end of it all, he actually ended up in a movie. I'm going to, um, I'm going to find it and and watch it because uh, I know I haven't seen it. And it's called uh, Finishing the Game. This was a. He said he had a. They said it was a small role, but he was the sidekick to the to the bad guy. Um, and it's Justin Lin's finishing the game. Um, yeah, I, I think for him, that's he makes me want to see this movie off the strength of like watching his journey and seeing how at the end of the documentary, he's on the phone with someone. And then he's off. He's like, yeah, I got a role in this in this film. And he's so like seeing him excited about getting this role and seeing how. Again, how charming he is and how it, he never changed. And not to say he was stagnant and never like had an arc, but like personality wise, he never changed. Just as gracious and as like happy, sunny disposition that he had after getting that part. That was the same person from earlier. Yeah, he had his hardships and so everything wasn't smiles and rainbows, but he was very much like Hey, y'all, uh, you know, so I got to get out here and do what I got to do. And then at the end, it's like, oh, I got a part on this film. I get to be in this film, and this is what I wanted. I was just like, damn it, man. I want this for him. I want to see him. And so I am going to uh, watch Finishing the Game. And I'm not sure if I, I'll be reviewing it on the channel or, or anything, but I, I definitely want to um, wanna, wanna take a look. I want to see what what his acting looks like. And it looks like it's a film that's based off of, what is it? It was the last film. It's a mockumentary. That's what it was. Um, Bruce Lee's final movie, Game of Death. So uh, Game of Death was unfinished at the time of Bruce Lee's death. Um, finishing the game is a comical satirization of that production i'm like okay that's that's interesting i'm hoping that it isn't offensive <laughs> or or like you know poorly made but either way i'm just i'm excited to watch it just to see him because following this these four folks in this documentary really makes me want to see where they've been well everyone but batman i don't care about him that man is weird but the other three I do want to see like what ha what what else have they been in? Maybe how are they now? But more importantly, Hulk. I'm so happy that this man got him a check. And so we do 
wrap up uh we found out wonder woman she was married her and her husband were together they were young in love and then they kind of you know fell out and had to go their separate ways she moved in with a friend a homegirl and you know she was looking for another agent who would take her seriously and one part of her story that really broke me is she she met with a manager I don't know if he was a manager or agent, but she did like a quick table read with him. And she said, hey, I want to work with someone who's going to fight for me. My last agent or my current agent is not fighting for me. And I think if she did, I would have more opportunities or I could go further. So they did the little read back and forth. And he was like, okay, you know, you good. You did good, whatever. And then we go on to in a later scene to her speaking with a woman who I think is her agent. And so... After she goes on this little audition, she's like, oh, you know, agent, I don't think I did well, this, that, and the third. And she's like, no, girl, you did really well. They said you held your own against some big-name actresses, even though she wasn't considered for the part. They was like, I want to keep her on my radar for other projects in the future. Now, I'm not an actor. I'm not a struggling actor. I haven't, you know, aspired to be an actor, so I don't know if that's, like, code for we'll never work with you again. But from the outside looking in, it sounded promising, like, maybe this ain't for you, but they may find something for you later. So she, Wonder Woman, mentioned something about someone telling her, oh, you look like such and such, like a a big name person. Never mentioned the the lady's name. And she was like, yeah, you know, like being mentioned in this space was so exciting to her. Her agent was like, yeah, that's because you're voluptuous. Like very much like, no, dead ass, your titties are big. That's why. And I was like, oh, shit, wait. And the camera for the documentary they like zoomed in on her and you could see the shift from her excitement to like being listed among these greats and then the woman be like eh nah no it's because you're voluptuous you're curvy she's like yeah you don't want to be painted into that that space and i was like oh shit i mean even if the lady's right it was like oh did you have to do it to her like that and so the lady the uh actress was like well um something something and then the agent was like this isn't therapy and i was like god damn but you know that may be what you need in that space like you can't get emotional if this is truly what you want you have to adapt and rise above and i don't know i don't know but i just know when i saw her get excited about whatever she was compared to and that lady was like no you're voluptuous i was like oh shit you just cut this woman down Quick, fast, and in a hurry. That's fucked up, bro. So, I don't know. I don't know. I just, that that really made me sad. I was like, damn, damn, sis. You you just trying to get your, your check where you can. So, they don't do a follow-up like this is where they ended up. They just kind of ride off the, the documentary ends. And it, that's just, that's just it. It ends. Hey, what's up? How are you? How you doing? You know, I'm still in a hard, you know, hard rock. You know, out here trying to change my life. You know, it's not easy. What's up, guys? How you doing? No, I'm used to it. (laughs) I feel so much like a loser because I didn't come out here to get in a costume and stand on Hollywood Boulevard to make chump change. You know, I'm out here seriously trying to make a name for myself. 
to me, it was a different way of panhandling. I have to say performing, you know, for money, you know, and that's basically what I see it as. Now, I do want to talk about the fame for a second and some of my issues as it pertains to um, fame. So there is a um, Mr. Incredible and an Elmo uh, costume Hollywood Walk of Fame actor. And they were arrested for being too aggressive with tourists. Uh, and it was described as being aggressive with like requesting tips. Now, Batman has been rude as shit this entire time. Not to say that anyone deserves to be arrested for being rude. Um, but he was rude as shit. And so if they did anything nearly half of what he did, then yeah. Because he was like obnoxious. And they were two black guys. They were arrested. After they were arrested, there was a scene where Superman was like, all publicity is good publicity. Because they get on the Jimmy Kimmel show, they're doing an interview with them, like on the street, you know, he's in the studio, there's on the street, and they're like, oh, do you agree with, with the Incredible and, and Elmo, and were they wrong, and this and that, and they give their little two cents, and then they ended up, they being the actors on Hollywood Boulevard, on the Jimmy Kimmel show, uh, Batman and Superman included, I think Hulk was there for a second, and I was like, where are all... And not even all, just specifically Hulk. When you get into this fame and this money that they got, however short-lived, because there was like a montage of like them appearing everywhere around that that incident of them being arrested, of uh, Mr. Incredible and Elmo being arrested. And I was just thinking, how much of this is this black man getting? How much of this is owed to him? And I don't really have the words for it, but seeing, oh my God, okay, how do I put this? I'm, this is going to be a bit, I don't have my, my thoughts together fully, but seeing that these two black men were arrested, Mr. Incredible and Elmo, they were arrested, locked up, and off the backs of their arrest, all of this fame came. And within that, all these shots, this whole montage, this video, these pictures, folks with money in their hands, stuff in their they draws and all that. I did not see Hulk but once. And that was during this, like, superhero wrestling thing that Jimmy Kimmel had. He was, like, off to the side. And that's not to say that he didn't get the same amount, if any. But the way it's presented in this documentary, it I was like, this is weird. Especially when you have interviews with this cop, and I think there were maybe a few others, but this one cop was like, yeah, you know, we, we crack down and we enforce the the safety and the, the actors have to be on this side of, of the sidewalk and they can't come over here and they got to get these tips and this, that, that, blah, whatever. But it's like, even if you tell me, oh, well, there were white people who were arrested, where was that footage? Like... The struggle of the four actors trying to do this cosplay type space and then act was very well documented. I don't think the Hulk got as much uh, shine as he probably could have, but, you know, that's just me. But then when it came down to this, this thing, these black folks was like front and center. Because even when Batman, the actor, got arrested, I don't recall there being footage of him in handcuffs, a mugshot, any of that. 
And this is a documentary from 2007 that was shot in 2005, which had a lot of white hands on it, I'm sure. Um, the director is a white man. And I was like, this is this is weird. This is very weird the way this is being presented. So again, I do think it was a well-done documentary, but it was another example, a reminder that like, yeah, everything ain't ain't for you. Um, not that I thought that in, in, in any uh, degree, but like, I don't know. The shit was just weird as fuck. Like, that's where the documentary for me, like, really took a turn. And again, I just can't get over the idea that off of these black men being arrested, now these other motherfuckers get, like, all of this fame and notoriety. And Superman had even said something like, all publicity is good publicity and or was it Batman was like oh well you go to jail oh well you come back and you make that money tenfold and I was like that may very well be but it was those two black men that was never relayed to us as audience members you're saying that out your mouth and that's good sure that you can make that money back or make that money tenfold but where where is that money for those black men who are arrested and they're doing the same thing that y'all are doing? They're trying to get tips for doing this freaking job that y'all all have signed up to do. And what's so interesting is that, yes, they may not have had the footage of the black men being, I guess, aggressive for tips, but you did have the footage of Batman being extremely obnoxious and aggressive for tips. And yet when it came down to this handcuff arrested footage, you, show, you chose these black men, but then when it came down to Batman's arrested footage, there was none. So it's not a perfect documentary by any means, but being a black person in America and consuming media, this is something I've just learned to um, accept to the point where sometimes it's even overlooked. Like when you're going to consume media that is not with you in mind or you as an afterthought, you're going to run into blind spots like this because that was fucking weird. And I'm not... There's no overreaction there. You can't convince me that, oh, you're just looking too deep into... No. This is a piece of art that someone put together to tell a particular story. And even if it was, oh, this was second thought or whatever, I don't know, whatever. It's There's no excuse for it, I don't think. So I don't know. Um, all in all, I would recommend, if you have some time, to watch this documentary. It was interesting. Some stuff was spoiled. I didn't spoil everything. But even within spoiling something, I think you're still going to get a pretty interesting, take a shot, interesting story um, if you watch it on your own, it's, I don't know, but let me know any other documentaries that you may know about that are nerd or nerd adjacent. Cause I'd like to look into more of those, not just this big, fantastic blockbuster superhero films, but I did enjoy watching this. Um, because even though it was very nerd focused, like in imagery, it was really just a story of four folks trying to make it and trying to make it with this like off of the let me know how do i put this trying to make it but then also kind of making it off the backs of these superhero characters that people have grown to love even before this documentary was shot um even before the avengers movies i think at 2005 um there were only the fox x-men movies and the Batman films, of course. There wasn't the MCU as we know it. So, yeah, I I enjoyed I enjoyed that. 
And even though it is a story about these people trying to, you know, act and, and find a way uh, to do the things they want to do in their life, the superhero nerd culture was very much present as like an entirely separate character. So I'd say give it a watch. Give it a watch. Um, yeah. And give me your thoughts. You know, use that hashtag CBN pod if you um, have some thoughts on the film, even on this episode. And let's make this a conversation because I may run this back a couple more times and, uh, you know, come up with some more thoughts. I ain't going to say I'm going to do a part two, but I do want to uh, get into more films and projects like this. So that being said, thank you all for listening to this episode. Please use that hashtag CBMPod when you're listening to this episode. Uh, If you're watching that documentary or if you just got something to say to me, use that hashtag CBMPod. Uh, if you need to reach me, Twitter is the most immediate way to get in touch with me, Carefree Blurred, um, Carefree Black Nerd on Instagram and all other social media platforms. And if you'd like to email me, uh, email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Put something in the subject alluding to what it's about because <laughs> you already know. You already know. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. This has been, this was an interesting one. Take a shot. <laughs> so until next time, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky. And don't hassle tourists for tips. Some days are good and some days are bad. But you live to fight another day. (laughs) All right, y'all. I'm Matt Ogins, director of Confessions of a Superhero, which is a feature documentary about the characters of Hollywood Boulevard. I'm always fascinated in stories um, whether it's movies I like or whatever, where it's just someone that you would pass on the street, you know, and, and not notice, I I want to get into their heads and figure out who, who they are. And, you know, to me right away, it wasn't about who are these people on the boulevard, it's what do they do when they're not on the boulevard. And that's really what the movie is about. When Matt first approached me, I was like, oh great, another person that wants to do another documentary on us. And at first, I wasn't sure how it was going to work out or anything like that because we get approached on subjects like this all the time. So um, basically, the proof is in the pudding. You know, he showed up one day uh, with a contract, wanted us to sign it, and I said, okay. So when do you want to stole their lives. (laughs) (laughs) I moved to Hollywood, and... I wanted to pursue the, the big dream, and then I got there, and as most people do, it was reality check. It's not what you think. And then I was so I was going to get a real job, and I was signing, like going and turning in applications, and I saw him at the Kodak Theater, and he was like, you look like Wonder Woman. I was like, I was her for Halloween. He was like, well, do you still have the costume? And I was like, yeah. He was like, well, put it on. Come out Saturday. So I did, and I made $300 in less than four hours. So I was like, I'm doing this. I've always been fascinated by the Incredible Hulk because, you know, as a kid growing up, there's going to be a bully or someone picking at you. I was homeless out here for like five years, and I've always been on Hollywood Boulevard, so I've kind of seen the transaction change from like 92 till now, and when I started seeing the characters develop on Hollywood Boulevard, I was like, wow, this is like turning to be something different. I need to be a part of this, you know, because I already know the ins and outs. Before you know it, this project happens, and I just wanted to be part of this project to tell my story and to help Matt and Charlie with their project because I feel that without no team in Hollywood, there's no chance. You know, that's just my perspective. 
and I'm just thankful to be a part of something that has gotten some great reviews and everything. So I'm happy for Superman too.